Well, you know, the, the, the whole the molar teleporter is really the next project where we're going to teleport the moonshine from the still directly into our mouths. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, coming to you straight from a cabin in the Virginia woods. Tech Moonshine is the best place to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are both experienced technology professionals and, just like Quality Moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns, and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins. And welcome to Tech Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof, honest truth, from a cabin in the Virginia woods. And Sean, tonight we are talking about remote working and remote working tech. And... You know, you may ask, what kind of credentials do we have here for remote working and remote working tech? And, I don't uh, know, Mike. Let me ask a question. What credentials do we have for remote working and remote working tech? Well, you know, for me, I would like to say that I have been remote working for almost four years now. Um, so you'd we, like to say that, but will you say that? Uh, well, if I'm going to be completely honest, it's been more like three and a half, and I will say that for certain. Um. And, you know, recently there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk going around about, well, you know, the U.S. needs to open up more H-1B visas. Um, we have a we have a, 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 a problem with tech workers in tech, um, specifically that the high tech workers, there's not enough of them. We need to bring them in from other countries. Uh, a few folks have spoken up and said, well, why don't you know, we have tech workers scattered across the United States, but we have to one, two. Uh, I guess you could say three main tech centers in the United States, which are what San Francisco or Silicon Valley, uh, Seattle and New York. Why don't but there are tech workers scattered across the entire continent. Why don't we just have them come in remotely? Or you could have some of these H-1B people that can't get into the country. You could have them come in remotely. Um, and there's been a lot of pushback, a lot of people saying that, well, uh, it, remote working is really hard and it actually doesn't work and there's reasons that we shouldn't do it. And, uh, you know, I wanted, we're going to discuss that tonight, Sean. And, uh, first I'd like to get your thoughts on remote working. You know, have you ever seen it work successfully? Uh, if you have under what auspices did you see it? And, you know, what do you think about it in general? Well, before I, I, by the way, I'm in favor of it. I did at one point in my life work for about a year remotely. Um, and it was, an interesting experience. I'll tell you more about that. But before, we, I, I want to make sure we qualify what we mean when we say remote working, because it can mean lots of different things. It sure. can mean you're a salesperson on the road. It can mean you're a customer support person in another country. It can mean you're, you know, maybe a tech worker working out of their home. So, Mike, when you talk about remote working, um, give me a bit about what would qualify as a remote worker. So here specifically, we're talking about a remote worker that's a technical worker in a high tech job. And um, the 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 thing that we're talking about are uh, engineers mainly um, or that's the topic that I want to hit on tonight, uh, which is that, you know, can someone who is a software engineer or a DevOps engineer, if you like that term for someone that manages servers, um, can they work remotely? Are they capable of doing their job if they're not in a physical location with a group of people? Uh, and that's kind of what we're centered on tonight. Okay, cool. And so that under that definition, like I said, that is actually describing me in 2004. I was remote working here in California for a team based in Waltham, Massachusetts. 
I will say that I, I a I like it and and rogue remote working by the way for engineers uh, in particular is not new with the advent of, of VPNs or virtual private networks which became quite the the big thing in the 90s and the early 2000s it became possible for you to access all of the same network resources you might have in the office from your home and that was when tech working remote working first became practical because before that you had to be plugged into the network of your company and that required you to be in the physical office to be able to do your job the same way if you're a factory worker you have to be in the factory to actually do factory work um, right but this virtual private network allowed us to take the the network and virtually extend it to your home and that unlocked a lot of working capabilities and if you as you've seen software become more um let's say uh with better tools for management so we moved to source control systems that are in the cloud we've moved to ticketing systems we've moved uh to systems that have made the development of software a lot easier um, it has made it more, e it made it uh, possible to break down software projects into components that somebody who maybe is not sitting next to you can undertake. Uh, and I say that because there was a time in the in the 80s and early 90s when software development involved the writing of large volume documents that described the software and was very onerous and difficult to segment. But with the advent of agile development processes and new ways of, of thinking about software, has become possible. So I, I do like it. And I think that it's a great positive. I do have a lot of questions about when the right time is to apply it and what kinds of environments can it be successful and can not be successful because I have seen it work very well. Uh, in fact, um, at Flurry, I employed two guys who live in uh, in Virginia of all places. Ironically, Virginia, that's who would, where we are. There's nothing and quality it, in Virginia, is there? No, no, there's Besides not. the moonshine. This, this cabin is pretty nice. And by the way, the new still that we got is Dude. super fly. Hold on, listen. I cannot if... believe Mike actually got it here on the back of a truck. The thing is amazing. Stainless steel. Must weigh like, I don't know, a million pounds. Really nice. He actually has got this Arduino on the side. It's got these little blinking lights. I'm not sure the if that means it's sensors. Actually, if it's, yeah, I don't know what exactly it's doing with the blinking lights, but they look cool. So They look cool. Well, it's, it's more like ground effect, Sean. It's, it's kind of a look thing. But listen, if you listen to it, you can hear it. Which is... Just a beautiful sound. That just sounds awesome. Is that and amazing so other than or that, what? Still, the other good thing in, in Virginia was this this team that I had, and it worked out very well. I also, by the way, have seen it work absolutely horrifically, and I've seen it be a big disaster. And in both cases, um, I think a lot of why it succeeds and why it doesn't succeed is the environment in which you use it. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You can't just say, we're going to have remote workers. And ironically, Mike, it comes down to two things. One, it comes down to the team and the people. Um, and I think that that's something that, honestly, there's not much more to say than the people working remotely have to be very good at working by themselves. If you're the kind of person that loves to be at the water cooler socializing, working remotely is not for you. And the team needs to be open to it. So if the team expects everybody to be in a, you know, a, a status meeting at 10 a.m., 2 p.m. every day in a room so you could draw on a whiteboard, that's probably not going to work. But assuming that's not the case, it's the people. But also, Mike, it's the tech. It's the it's the the services that you have available to you to enable you working remotely. And the tech, if it's set up correctly, can really empower you as a remote worker. And frankly, if it's not set up correctly, there's no chance of success. And so let's dig into that a little bit deeper. What are what what are the tools for the modern remote worker, Mike? So if you're a remote worker, what do you need to be able to have access to to be effective from home? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of the arguments that I've seen against remote working saying that this doesn't work that this is a bad idea or that there are serious barriers to it um i have had the opportunity at flurry 
uh, to work remotely. Um, and now I've had the opportunity at Yahoo to work remotely. Um, and both of them have gone pretty well. But one of the things that really differentiated the Flurry experience from the Yahoo experience was the ease of communication, right? Um, Flurry was <clears throat> a small company, you know, n never more than about 120, 130 people. Um, and one of the things that really defined the experience at Flurry was that everyone used Skype. And so one of the reasons that people say that remote working needs, you know, that remote working doesn't work is because I guess if you're physically located with someone and I, I say, I need to get a hold of Sean, I can get up and walk across the room and tap you on the shoulder. And in fact, if you have the right communication tools in place, so you have uh, some kind of a, uh, um, an, an instant messaging client or even a video messaging client, um, <clears throat> that can take the place of being able to walk up and physically tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, I need your attention and I need it right now. Um, and in fact, Skype for us uh, at the Flurry team was just crucial for our success in being remote workers. Um, the other thing is that you do need uh you need it. And, and I don't know that the, you know, that's, that's pretty much the tech. You need to lower the barrier to communication as much as you can. And so instant messaging is crucial. Video messaging may be important, but there's reasons that that, that those are important, which is that there's kind of a, if I can't see you, maybe you don't exist kind of a thing that can go on that you got to be careful of. Um, the other thing is that you do, in fact, need to touch base with the home office on a regular basis. And so um, when I would work, uh, when I worked at Flurry and now that I work at Yahoo, um, I would travel out to the main office or the offices on a regular basis. Now, as a remote worker, um, I would actually posit to say that I was one of the most connected people at Flurry because I worked with so many teams. And the fact that I didn't um, revolve around the physical connection may have actually worked in my benefit because I got used to working uh, kind of, you know, uh, at arm's length from people. And so all of a sudden uh, a crisis would occur, or something would come up and I would need to pull a bunch of people together. And I got really good and really skilled at pulling a bunch of people together, regardless of their physical location. I never was hamstrung by the fact that I couldn't actually go lay hands on someone. Um, the other thing is that you need to have the right mentality as a remote worker. And you're very much right. Uh, if you are someone that is not self-motivated, if you are not someone, if you're someone that likes to sit around and watch Netflix all day and just kind of maybe glance at your computer every once in a while, then working remotely is going to be hard for you. Um, because the there for as many distractions as there are in the office, there are a thousand more at home. Um, or a thousand more when someone's not looking over your shoulder. And so there's a very, there's a very real uh, necessity to be self-motivated. <clears throat> I am not the kind of person that enjoys just sitting still. Um, I like to always... Still, hey, you Go said ahead. still. That means we have to drink. Ha-ha! There we go. Tech Dogbook Overload. Good time. Maybe I shouldn't crash my glass against the mic. <laughs> that's that's what the mic is designed for specifically Perfect. so mike you, you kind of answered my question but basically and completely avoided it entirely which i yes. think is very impressive it's a technique you've honed over many years of talking to me i can tell so um <laughs> let's talk about the tech of you mentioned skype which is important but tell me mm -hmm. more about 
as as a remote worker, what's in your toolbox? What do you need to have access to? And and brand name technology uh, aside, mm-hmm. what are the functions you have to be able to perform from home that you need tech to do for you? Because this is, so, of course, I don't know if you knew this. This is tech moonshine. Tech moonshine. Not yes. like you know, Sean and Mike have Social a touchy conversation moonshine. That's a different podcast that we're also okay. hosting that you should all subscribe to. Okay, very good. Um, yeah. So uh, the things that are critical for me. Um, an instant messaging client where I can reach out and touch people virtually. Um, some kind of a virtual meeting room that I can set up, whether that would be a Skype chat or whether that would be um, a teleconferencing solution. Um, so you have to be able to see the team? No, you don't have to be able to see the team. And actually, seeing the team is not important. Um, uh, unless, you know, Is that because the team is ugly or, or why do you not want to see the team? Actually, the team that I work on is one of the most attractive teams at Flurry, I have to say, and not just because I'm part of it. Um, we 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 are just a beautiful group of people, both inside and outside. Um, but the seeing part is not important. It's the talking part. Um, and so sometimes you might need to have a, uh, a virtual group chat with Skype um, where you're typing out. Sometimes you might need to have a voice chat. Um, having conference lines that you can set up, whether that would be freeconferencecall.com, which uh, that whole music is ingrained in my head forever. Uh, that's this episode important. brought to you by freeconferencecall.com. Um, those, are, those are two of the big things. Um, is it, it really, honestly, the te- any tech that empowers communication can be a powerful tool to allowing people to re- re- work remotely. So it, that's a good good point. So there are, of course, other more traditional technologies like email and things that email, we yeah. that actually work well. But no, I bring that up for a reason. Is it possible then to have too much communication? So I imagine uh, working uh-huh. from home, you know, you have your chat clients, you have your email. Since you're not right there and people can't come over and tap you on the shoulder, um, how is it possible to have too many communication tools? Is it possible that your interrupt rate just gets to be too high because people are constantly using these things to get a hold of you? Absolutely, um, and that is that is one of the challenge. It, 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 there's, uh, you know, to, to to take on a term from uh, an old was it neuromancer being jacked in too much uh, can be devastating to your productivity. Um, and there are definitely times where I have to turn off the chat client. I have to turn off email. Um, I have to basically segregate myself from the rest of the world in order to get 30 minutes worth of silence. Um, now, part of that is just, you know, I reach out to a lot of people on a daily basis and they can get back to me on a regular basis. And uh, one of the things you should also we should also touch on is that shifting time zones can be uh, very interesting or very challenging when you are a remote worker and that actually adds to the challenge of being a remote worker where if you're not in the time zone of your parent company um, then crazy things can happen where you end up either working real early or working real late Um, but yeah uh, it's very easy to get overwhelmed especially if you're always reliant on these chat clients you're always reliant on email you're always reliant on these forms of technology to do your communication, it turns out that they're very hard to rate limit. They're very hard to, uh, you know, push back on. And, you know, an email can come in at any time of the day. 
um, a Skype chat. And they do, can, in fact. And they do. A Skype chat can come in at any moment of the day. And what's better is uh, we actually coined a term on our team and called it the Skype storm, which is when about five people Skype you all within a minute of each other. Um, and I've, I've had that happen on multiple occasions. And literally, you just your head starts spinning around because all of a sudden you have five people that need input from you right then. Uh, most of them are not, you know, trained to wait. And it can be very challenging uh, if you get over communicated against. Um, so two things on that. One is the swivel neck, the way you're describing here, actually sounds like a super useful asset to have and especially in an office where you can just swivel your head and see everybody going on and everybody can't see it right now mike is showing me the swivel head action here in the shack which is pretty exciting the second it's, is it, i agree it's going to be the latest the next craze next to bobbleheads there you go i found it um when i was remote working i found that i worked a lot more hours and oh, i didn't yes. work a lot more hours to be more productive i worked a lot more hours because the fear of missing out or whatever it is, you feel like you need to be online. And if you're not in front of your computer, you're missing out on something happening is pretty intense. And it actually, in some ways, I think is debilitating because when you go to an office, you have, you know, spatial um, you know, boundaries, you have psychological boundaries. When I leave the office, I can maybe not leave it behind, but at least turn it down significantly. Working remotely, you don't have that. I mean, hopefully you have a dedicated office, a dedicated space to work from. But even then, it's not different. There's no commute to kind of, you know, delineate your day, delineate your, your working environment. Uh, and so you can work from coffee shops, and those are great. But coffee shops are not designed to be offices. They're designed to be social environments. And there's people talking there and having fun and laughing. And so it's very difficult to get it. And so, Mike, this has given rise, by the way. To the rise of co-working. Something, it's a fairly recent phenomenon, which is the co-working space. Basically, an office building made up of desks where you as a remote worker can get a desk that you work at as if it was an office, but in fact, you're the only employee at that location. What's your take on, on co-working spaces? You know, I have, uh, I've never availed myself of, of them. Um, if I were to go back about, I don't know, three, two, three years now, um, uh, there was a time period where for about four years, I worked out of my bedroom. And so I spent literally 16 hours a day in one room. And that really can do something to you mentally if you're not careful. Um, the other thing is that it is very easy uh, when you are segregated into your house uh, to just kind of say, I'm just going to go check email, or I'm just going to go see if anybody's pinging me on Skype, or uh, all these different things that, you know, I'm just going to go make sure, like you said, that debilitating fear that you haven't missed something. I'm just going to go check. Um, that can actually, that that is a very real thing, and it can be a real challenge. Now, going back, you know, I've been working out of my house for like, gosh, almost five, six years now. Um, I can see the allure of having a co-working space where there is a definite segregation of the work and home environment. Um, I've gotten really good at managing it nowadays, uh, but in the beginning, that was really hard to deal with and definitely led to some problems I just never anticipated where I would do things like dream about work and wake up in the middle of the night and jump out of bed and run to my desk before I realized that, oh, it was in fact just a dream and I did not need to get awkward that thing. 
And so uh, everybody at home, by the way, should keep track of this. I actually have a, a program at home I call the, um, the the concurrent systems process, which generates Skype messages to Mike at random hours, <laughs> emulating real work problems to try and see, uh, as part of the psychological experiment I'm running on him, how much, how close to crazy we can drive him to be. We have a little camera set up in his work area at home. He doesn't know about this, so don't tell him. Uh, but we're trying to see how how long he can he can put up with this before it just drives him nuts. Actually, I mean, co-working, um, it, it might not sound like a technology, but the way that it's done these days is very different than the way things used to be done. And, and I would argue that's what technology is, is a new approach to an old problem or, or a new way to solve an existing problem and there is to tell you how big this this idea of having an office building who's who's divided up by desks and rented out by a desk there's a company called WeWork. it's only four years old it was recently valued at five billion dollars and what they do is they run these co-working facilities and in fact they run them as if it was the google campus or one of these really great startup environments you see where it has all the, the great accoutrement you would expect in terms of snacks and couches and bean bags. And it feels like you're working in a large startup company, but in fact, you're just renting a desk from them and working remotely for someone else. And the great thing about WeWork, I think, is not only is this innovative in how it enables remote workers, they've taken on a social mission. And in fact, most WeWork locations are in areas that need urban renewal. And so cities around the world have started to work with WeWork to set up these WeWork buildings for remote workers in areas of the city they want to revitalize. And especially in San Francisco, oh, there's one of the WeWork locations. It's in an area called the Tenderloin. It's not the nicest area. But around the WeWork building that was set up smack in the middle of this Tenderloin uh, area, they have started to see urban renewal because all these workers in this office building, they need to go out to lunch. They need to go out and get stuff. They need extra stuff to, to support them. They want to live in the area. And it's really started to have a difference. And this is true of many cities around the world. And so Remote working is not only enabling people to have jobs they might otherwise have, it's actually becoming a tool in urban development, which I think is super exciting. And by the way, since WeWork is only four years old and worth $5 billion, if you are kind of curious what to do next, you're thinking about your next company you want to start or something like that, apparently co-working is like the thing because that's crazy how so much they're I, worth right now. I have actually um, presented at WeWork Spaces and they're pretty fabulous. They're pretty amazing. Um, you walk into these facilities and it really does not feel like you're walking into a, uh, a co-working space. It really feels like you're walking into not a small startup, but a medium-sized startup where there's quite a few people on multiple floors uh, that all seem highly motivated and, you know, the great thing about uh, a co-working space is that there is the opportunity to bounce ideas off of someone that is your peer, uh, but not necessarily is your, um, is a, is a co-worker. Uh, one of the things I will point out is that it is hard on the remote working side to get just that daily interaction that builds teams. And so you have to work at that real hard. Um, and so being a gregarious, outgoing kind of an individual can be an advantage for you when you are a remote worker. Um, the other thing is that nothing can truly replace one-on-one -on -one human interaction. And you, as a remote worker, should make every attempt to get back to the, the mothership as much as you can. Um, so I'll tell you a really funny story. I went through the very first Flurry Code review. Um, and... 
during this code the review, Sean, you one, were part I'm of. I'm pretty sure there was plenty of code that wasn't code reviewed long before the company's going to start. So tell me about the first <laughs> well, Flurry code review. So, so uh, when I started at Flurry, um, uh, our our good friend and friend of the show, Anthony Watkins, uh, I was hired onto his team, and um, he on the third day that I was working for Flurry said, "By the way, I've been tapped to go manage the New York office for the summer." Um, piece uh but hey while i'm gone you can either a do documentation or b work on this new feature and any engineer of their own salt will say of course i'm going to work on the new feature um and so i worked this, on this by the way it was the only way we could get mike to do our work while anthony and i went on a long golfing vacation so if you're <laughs> probably, home keeping a score that's how we pulled true. it off so I, I decided to work on the new feature and i put this thing together and uh, it was basically the, it was called the get banner is the ability to show HTML banner ads uh, via an API. And uh, this was the brainchild of one of the, one of the guys at flurry. And this was going to make us an amazing amount of money. Um, and so I put together the first blush of it and Anthony arranged a call with a, a few folks. Um, uh, I don't, I don't want to necessarily name names, but this call did not go well. Um, and these guys who were just diehard, incredibly good engineers were asking me really hard questions, but this was all happening over the phone. I couldn't see them. I couldn't read any tone of voice or I could read tone of voice, but I couldn't read body language. And the end of the call was that I was pretty convinced that they didn't like me and that they were out to get me. Which was, by the way, this shows that Mike is extraordinarily perceptive. <laughs> Yes. So uh, I spent a good two to three months thinking that these guys that were had code reviewed me uh, were trying to basically get me fired. And it was very interesting that when I finally did make the trip to San Francisco, when I finally did go meet them face to face, nothing could have been farther from the truth. That was just how they were. Um, but you know, remote working is very difficult, especially if you don't have the social bonds of a relationship with someone. Um, and so as a remote worker, you have to forge those social bonds on a regular basis. And there, it is the truth that nothing can forge a social bond like a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, it, it's just a fact of life. So one of the, one of the, go ahead. Uh, so that's one thing you don't have. I was actually going to ask you what things you don't have as a remote worker that you'd like tech to be able to do. And and a face-to-face -face meeting is something it can't replace for you. But let me challenge you this, Mike. They have now robots, telepresent robots, yes. which you can uh, – it looks like a Segway if you've seen a Segway. And it has a computer to monitor on it with your face. And you can actually pilot around the office. And while you can't walk around the office, you can actually – have this robot with your face streaming video so you can see where it's going and they can see your face as you're piling around and use it as a telepresence version of you. It doesn't quite get you to face-to-face, -face, Mike, but is that the kind of thing that might help? That would help immensely. I have actually lobbied that we need to get some of these robots. Um, <clears throat> it This solves a problem not just for remote workers but for remote offices as well where you can log into this remote robot and go hunt someone down because sometimes you need to hunt someone down um, and <clears throat> sometimes people hide from you and it's it's a little easier to hide in the virtual world but if i can drive a robot around hopefully with lasers and come after you um, 
you're not going to be able to avoid that as easily. So yeah, I telepresence robots would make a big dif- would make a big difference. See, so, uh, it, it's kind of a fun idea, but it really would make a very large impact. That's good, and of course, you know, teleportation would be a big impact too. Mike and I are still working on that. Um, unfortunately, it took us too much effort to get the still running again. So we'll get back on top of that project uh, as part of our next undertaking. Well, we'll you know, the, the, the whole the molar teleporter is really the next project where we're going to teleport the moonshine from the still directly into our mouths. That sounds like an enormously easy way to get drunk. I like it. I like it. I'm in favor. But Mike, what, what other kinds of technology or do you wish you had? Or what kind of problems has technology not solved for you that you would like it to? Um, you know, we, we kind of go back to um, the, the separation of work and home. Um, that definitely, uh, I don't know that that's a, well, that is a problem that tech can solve because you need to have kind of a do not disturb zone. Um, you need to be able to turn all the tech off. You need to be able to disconnect. Um, you need to be able to uh, just separate yourself from the constant inflow of communications. Um, and then you you make light of it. I have, uh, you know, on a regular basis, I do fly out to San Francisco. It's about an eight-hour commute for me. Um, a teleporter would really make things a lot easier. <laughs> I would, I, I would totally dig just walking into my, uh, my star, my Starfleet teleporter and, and tapping my shoulder and saying, beam me up, Scotty. And before anybody asks, uh, cause we get a lot of requests after the show, we did in fact try 3d printing Mike in California and uh, it didn't quite work out as you'd expect. So we're probably not going to try that experiment again. The quantum entanglement angle was pretty tough. Um, well, it was more that the, the new 3D printed Mike decided to ask for a raise. It was very awkward. We had to essentially disassemble him. It was, it was a whole thing. Disassembling him was definitely the gentle way to put that. But it's okay. I don't bear anybody ill will yet. Um, so, yeah. did you Now, what about you, Sean? When you were working remotely, did you run into any things that you feel like tech could have solved for you? Uh, I, I, so yes, but a lot of those has been solved in the interim. Cause again, this was about 10 years ago. I think the advent of things like Git and distributed source control systems has made working remotely a lot easier because you don't have to worry about being online and checking things out. The advent of really interesting, um, co collaboration tools like pull requests to make code reviewing easier has made it a lot better as well. I think that uh, a lot of the, the challenges because remote working has become so popular, technology is slowly solving. And in fact, I'm actually really excited about um, Slack and a bunch of the new kinds of chat tool, work, chat work tools that are available. Because as, as great as Skype is, there are a lot of limitations. And a, it was never designed for coordinating and chatting among large teams. And to have a tool like Slack designed specifically for that, I think, is a huge leap forward. And I, I look forward. I think you're going to see a lot more innovation in the coming years because uh, co-working, uh, sorry, not co-working, remote working is not going away. It's becoming a bigger part of our economy. And you'll see more and more tools. I would love to see something that is somewhere between uh, instant messaging chat and email as a remote worker, if, if I was remote working now. When I, when I say that, um, the great thing about email is you send it and people can respond whenever they have time. And the great thing about instant messaging is people can respond immediately. The challenge you have with remote working is sometimes you want something in between. You want a fast answer, but you don't need it right now. And the challenge with IM is if somebody's not on IM, then honestly they can't respond right away. But if somebody's, you send somebody an email, it could quite possibly get lost in the 300 other emails they got. And so you lose out in the ability to say, hey, I have an urgent question for you. Can you get back to me? It's a very short answer I need. 
and people end up using email for this, they end up using chat for this, and they end up basically making it more difficult to use both those tools because they're both not designed for that. So if there was some way in the middle to have something you could use, I think I would greatly appreciate that. I think it would be very useful. I agree. I think that uh, that sums it up nicely, Sean. And I think with that, we're going to move into tech topic overload. Tech topic overload. Tech topic overload, in case you have forgotten, is where we will talk about two things that have enthralled us this week in tech or maybe the previous week as well. And uh, I would like to give you the opportunity to start this this week's tech topic overload. Awesome. And my tech to- my first tech topic rant uh, of the day is actually so timely, Mike, that it actually occurred exactly, uh, I don't know, maybe like four hours ago. And so this is the deal. If you are if you follow GoPro or use GoPro cameras, you probably know GoPro went public uh, almost a year ago, maybe like nine months. I don't actually remember. It wasn't that long ago. GoPro went public, so they are a public company. And today, GoPro stock dropped by twelve percent, which is a huge drop for any individual stock. Twelve percent of its value lost in a single day. And why did it drop, Mike? Is it, did it drop because their business uh, is not fundamentally strong? Nope. Their business is the same as it was yesterday. Did it drop because they lost a key executive? Nope. Everybody is still there. Did it drop because they lost a big deal? Nope. Everything is still there. Why did it drop? It dropped, Mike, because an announcement came out that Apple has patented the ability to remote control a camera from your Apple smartwatch which is the most ludicrous thing ever because, A, I'm not even sure how that applies to GoPro, that Apple has, has applied for a patent to control a, phone, a, a camera from a watch. Secondly, they, they, it's just the patent, okay? Let's all chill, chill out because patents are all over the place. It doesn't mean they're going to do something. And finally, I'm pretty sure GoPro doesn't even do remote controlling of your camera from your watch today, so why this is such a big deal it means 12% of the value of the stock evaporated overnight. I don't know. So this is kind of a rant against the stock market, which is, come on, people. Let's, let's think rationally and not jump to conclusions. But secondly, it shows you that patents have really gone out of control. If you can apply for a patent like this, which honestly, controlling a camera from a watch like, is not super exciting, can have this kind of big effect on people's lives. It's really unfortunate. Mike, something has to change. Watches have to be stopped. To you, Mike. Uh, shoot, man. Absolutely. Stop all the watches, people. Um, yeah, so one one of my topics for tech topic overload, tech topic overload. Uh, is is the fact that um, John Gruber was talking about Siri getting faster today. And um, I have... You need wrong answers as fast as possible. <laughs> well, you know, it's not necessarily so much about Siri getting faster, just that the utility of Siri is getting greater. Um, and I think that that's a big win for Apple. Now, I'm not a big user of Siri, but do you know who is a big user of Siri, Sean? Uh, Apple? My five-year-old daughter who cannot read or write very well yet. And she is enthralled with Siri. And she actually goes to, to Siri like some kind of an oracle to ask Siri questions. And she'll ask Siri questions like, what is daddy doing today? And Siri has picked up the ability to figure out that I am daddy somehow and that Siri will read off my my schedule to her. Um, Or she will go to Siri and she will ask questions about uh, like things on the internet or which could be a little bit frightening on occasion. Um, But 
like as in happened when someone asked to define the word but from Siri and the very first topic was the Wikipedia article for, um, yeah, something that children should not see. And, um, but Siri is getting better and I think that that is phenomenal news. Uh, on top of that, things like Cortana and uh, Google Now are getting better as well. And while I don't think that these digital personal assistants will ever be anything major in my life, um, I'm interested to see what will happen with iterations on top of them. Like maybe one day they will do something that will be pretty phenomenal and I will have the opportunity to use something like this on a regular basis. Oh, that's cool. Although I'll say that that's not too new technology, Mike. I mean, 10 years ago we had that. It was just called Mrs. Cleo and you just had to dial a 900 number to get all the same features. <laughs> So as my Terrible. second rant of the day, yes. I'm going to hit you up with this. So if are you, you are ranting aware, today, Sean? What's that? Are you ranting? I could rant. I can make okay, it here. I'm going to get my rant on. Watch this. Get Watch your this. rant on. Okay, so if you are a U.S. citizen, you probably did not know this. But in fact, there is no federal law about security violation reporting, meaning that if you work with a company and they get hacked and they lose all your personal information, the laws that govern what they have to do are, are vary state by state. And many states, in fact, have no laws. Meaning that in some states, if somebody goes in and steals all your credit card info, all that kind of stuff, the company, in fact, has no requirement by law to tell you. And in fact, I, I think if you were a citizen in the US, this probably has happened to you sometime in the last 20 years, that your information has been stolen and they never told you and you just didn't know about it. it definitely happened so, to me one I will, time. Was that? It happened to you? Well, I, that that was because I needed to buy a new car. My credit's not that good, so I stole Mike's information. <laughs> he doesn't know that yet, so don't tell him that. Right. But I'll say that the reason, uh, so this rant has a happy ending, which is that um, President Obama has proposed new rules, new federal rules on security, on cybersecurity, which would include a federal requirement of reporting intervals. Basically, you'd have to report to all of your customers within 30 days there's been a breach whenever you find the breach. That would be a huge step forward for, for uh, security and privacy in the U.S. I hope it goes through because the idea, Mike, that somebody can steal all your credit card info, your personal info, and walk away and, and the company you work with wouldn't have to tell you, it's just in this day and age, it shouldn't happen Ludicrous. anymore. And it sounds like we're on our path to, to stopping that. That's awesome, Sean. I'm glad to hear. Not only was it a rant, but it was a rant with a happy ending. Good job. A rant man. with a happy ending. Happy yeah. ending. Um, yeah, so my my last topic, um, I don't know if you saw this the other day, but uh, <clears throat> Marco Arment, who is a, a well-known uh, Apple pundit, came out with this blog post on a Sunday evening of a very slow news weekend uh, that basically said that Apple has lost the functional high ground, um, that in fact their software is no longer uh, progressing at a regular pace and that it's actually getting worse year to year. And I don't have a real, a real uh, uh, opinion on whether or not Apple software is getting worse or better. I think it's changing and I think people don't like change. Um, but one thing I will say is that there's an incredible pressure on Google and Apple uh, that Microsoft has somehow avoided to constantly put out new OSs on a regular basis. And this is a, this is a, a pace of change that is tough to maintain. Um, and you, know, you can push teams hard, you can push them to a very real limit, but at some point, the pace of putting out major new features on a yearly cycle 
is you upgrade the OS at the same time. It's probably a little too much to bear. And so um, <clears throat> it would be very interesting to see what would happen if uh, Apple decided to take a year off. Um, in fact, they did this with, was it Mountain Lion um, or Lion, where they basically said, hey, we're just going to kind of rev the software a little bit and make, make it better. Um, but that does not seem to have removed their technical debt to a sufficient degree that the pundits are saying that everything is kosher. So um, that is my last topic tonight. I would actually like to say just a quick follow-up. I'd love to see a kosher operating system because I did not, in fact, know that my current operating <laughs> system was not kosher, which means that there's all sorts of things in it that I am not aware of. So let's make a topic uh, coming up, Mike, about uh, the ability to have orthodox religious operating systems. Orthodox religious operating systems. Yes. And we have a show title. All right. And on that note, Sean, I think that we will hear from this week's sponsor. Cheerio, mate. Don't let the cheerful sound of British imperialists fool you. These people were deadly serious about dominating the world. But, as is true with most hobbies, once mastery has been attained, something more meaningful must be achieved. And such is the case with the British Empire. But not all Brits gave it up. Some continue to practice the dark art of empire building. They let out their time to those who can afford it, those who want it, and those who need it. Such is the case with Firminger's Empire Building Supply Company, where, as any good brick could a century ago, Firminger can show you how to build an empire before afternoon tea. Firminger will show you the ropes, tell you the pitfalls and glories of empire building, and help you traverse the perilous landscape of populist subjugation. He'll school you in the ways of never showing weakness, always holding firm, and doling out favors to only those that you need to need them. He will illuminate your mind and your avarice. And when you're done, you will both sit down for that afternoon tea, chatting as amiably as longtime mates, secure in the knowledge that you can now rule the world, should you dare. So come out to Firminger's Empire Building Supply Company. Your subjects will thank you. We would like to thank Firminger and his Empire Building Supply Company for their patronage. Thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account or find us on the web at techmoonshine.com. You can also chat with Mike and I directly. Mike's on Twitter as Rollins.io and I'm on Twitter as S. Burns. Special thanks to Jeff Holtzinger, our banjo picker, and his track Bent Nails, which you heard at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Please join us next week for more 200 Proof Truth about tech.